So this has been one of the most hard to nail down stories in AI. When you hear Imad Mustak from Stability AI talk about his journey into stable diffusion, he often references Eleuther AI, which is kind of a shady-ish organization that's not super clear what they are, and they are like a research collective or something. And then I came across this interview on the Inside View with uh, Michael Trazzi. Still pretty small podcast, but um, I think very high quality guests, and they just go on for hours. This one was a three-hour podcast um, with one of the co-founders, Connor Lee. We have to think back to like a pretty different time when the Luther AI was first created. Like this was back in like 2020. And, um, you know, the alignment community hadn't really updated yet on scaling and on basically you, you kind of created the anti-meme of scaling with Eleuther AI. There was a bit of an anti-meming going on there and also some normal memeing. Um, but yeah, in a sense, the, so I, I talked about this a bit earlier already, like how I had these like really strong updates. So like. We're not, so, I mean, so, so Eleuther first started just like, you know, me and some friends dicking around, right? You know, which I think is a perfectly healthy and harmless thing to have happen. You know, some hackers dicking around in a Discord server, having some fun programming some stuff, I think is a good and healthy thing that, you know, you know, is good. But, you know, it, we didn't expect to get anywhere. Like, you know, we were like making like little toy models and we were just like having fun. You know, it was, it was the pandemic. We were bored to tears. You know, it was, it was good for all our mental health. Right. Um, one one misconception that often comes up with Eleuther AI is that we were not always alignment concerned. That like someone convinced us, or like somehow we were like, um, you know, someone proselytized to us, or like changed our mind or something. This is completely false. You can. This is documentarily wrong in the sense that I replicated GPT two a year prior to to Eleuther AI and wrote rather cringy, but not, but interesting blog posts where I explained my exact reasoning about why I did this, why I think this is good. I linked to like lots of less wrong posts and like lots of things why I think this is important for alignment or whatever. And also I changed my mind. It was actually Buck Schlageris, who's CTO of Redwood now, who changed my mind about releasing it back in the day. And I wrote a long post being like, okay, yep, I was a fucking idiot. Um, this was a bad thing and uh, I'm sorry about that. Um, but I think there's nuance to why I decided not to release GPT-2 that then did not apply at least not in the same capacity to what we're doing in Luther. Uh, I'm going to get to that in a second. So so basically, from day one, we always took alignment seriously. At least I did. So I always was alignment in mind. And my reasoning was that when GPT-3 came out, you know, I was already primed by GPT-2 and such. And it's like, I looked at this and I was like, holy shit, like... This is the, we have to pivot. Like alignment needs to work on this. Like this is the thing. Like this is the thing we need to work on. And now everyone talks about language models, you know, and like everyone talks about scaling. It's like all over the um, alignment forum and stuff. But back then it was like me and Gwern, you know, <laughs> like no one else really in the alignment sphere outside of like OpenAI was like taking scaling and these kind of stuff very seriously. Well, I guess there was this post about are we in AI overhang I think it came out in 2020, where people like realized that you could just like scale GPT-3 and make even even bigger models, and like it got like a bunch of upvotes. At least was created. There were some. So like, Gwern deserves a lot of the credit for like really spreading the scaling meme in the alignment community. So I I, I think probably Gwern deserves like no like definitely Gwern deserves more credit than like Eleutheri for example does in spreading this meme in the alignment community. So uh, you know thank you for your services. Um, also. 
please start working on alignment, Gurren, I beg you, <laughs> instead of whatever anime shit you're doing. Um, but <laughs> please, Eliezer, stop writing uh, Glowfig as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, from the very beginning, I saw, wow, these models are important. We have to understand these things. We have to understand their scaling properties. These emerging capabilities are important. Interpretability is incredibly important. And I basically saw an arbitrage opportunity. So the way these large, these models work is you have a training phase, which is very comp very expensive and very like engineering tricky, like very tricky. But then once you've done that, you using the model for like fine tuning or generation or doing interpretability is much simpler in comparison and costs much, much less money. So I basically saw an arbitrage opportunity is that there were a ton of people who I think should be doing research on these models, but clearly did not have the engineering and funding to build these models themselves. So I had a bunch of nerds who wanted to do this for fun anyways, and maybe by, and we had access to some hardware from various sources. So maybe if we just did this, you know, one-time investment, we could have like this leverage of like many groups using our models and our work to do research. And also in the process, we will gain something very valuable, which is tacit experience with working with these kinds of models, which I think to this day, uh, a flaw or like a big mistake that a lot of people in the rationalist and alignment community, not everyone, but like quite a number of people do is undervaluing practical experience, hands-on actually touching a thing. Like, uh, there's, you know, there's an illustrious scientific history of the method of just staring at an object very hard. And that I think is sometimes unfairly maligned they're like well i remember having this conversation with some people in the alignment sphere is like you know oh well why did you build the models just use gpt2 that's like that's like fine but i'm like or like you know and i'm like well okay what if i want to study the bigger properties uh they'll probably exist in the smaller models too or something and i'm like no I, I just want to and the, and they'll be like well what name three experiments you're going to do with this specific, exact model and i'm like you know, I could come up with three, sure, but that's kind of missing the point. The point is like, we should just really stare at these things really fucking hard. And turns out, yeah, my experience, that was a really good idea. Most of my knowledge, like my, my competitive advantage that I have in other people is gained from that period of just actually building the things, actually staring at them really hard. And not just like, you know, knowing about the OpenAI API existing and reading right. the papers. There's a lot of knowledge you can get from reading a handbook, but actually running the machine will teach you a lot of things. Yeah, so I agree that like to understand the models and how to align them, how to steer them correctly, you might want to like implement them yourself or like replicate the soda. And I think that's like one of the main arguments in the prosaic alignment research um, literature, like, oh yeah, please build the stuff and then you can like inter interpret it and like align it. However, um, some people uh, working at Anthropics might say that you can still like reproduce the soda and and do like private research, not like open source the models, and then do like maybe like public alignment research. And like, what OpenAI did, sorry, what AI did was like everything was open source and everything was like things people could like use to train their models. So it kind of accelerated AI timelines for everyone. Yes, I think that's completely false, but I'll explain why. Um, I think there's a very toxic meme that exists in the alignment world right now. I agree that in the ideal case, the correct case is for large, well-funded groups to do AGI research internally and never fucking tell a soul about it. I think that is the correct way to do it. I think what Anthropic, for example, is doing is good. And 
even though I disagree with many of their things and I have some problems with OpenAI, fundamentally, a lot of what they're currently doing is good. I think their alignment research is problematic for several reasons, but the idea of like, some people are like, oh, OpenAI not publishing GPT-3. I'm like, I wish they didn't even publish the paper, dude. <laughs> like, I wish they didn't even publish the goddamn paper. Um, so one of my important parts of my threat model is that I think 99% of the damage from GPT-3 was done the moment the paper was published. And as they say about the nuclear weapon, uh, the nuclear bomb, uh, the only secret that it was that it was possible. And I think there's a bit of naivety that sometimes goes into these arguments where people are like, well, without, you know, Luther, I accelerated things, you know, they drew attention to the meme. I think there's a lot of hindsight bias there in that people don't realize how everyone knew about this except the alignment community. Like, you know, everyone at OpenAI, everyone in, in Google Brain, DeepMind, like people knew about this, like, and they figured it out fucking fast. Like it was, they're like, well, you know, Eleuther AI accelerated release of open source models. And I'm like, that's just like, uh, like, just like look at what happened of, you know, Bloom just got released the other day, which was big sciences, you know, big model. Uh, Meta released their OPT, you know, 175 billion model like right. a few months ago and stuff. Like this was always going to happen. It was, there was never a question of like, there's no counterfactual world in which Eleutheri didn't exist where OPT didn't get released. Like that, that's like not a counterfactual that makes sense, but even more so, um, even more so, there's a lot of contingent. There's a lot of contingent factors about like how things were done. There are. There's one thing I do regret about Luther AI, and I think in retrospect was a mistake, and that mistake was releasing the pile. So this was actually a surprise to me. Um, so when we created the pile, I expected, you know, who's going to care about this, right? Like maybe a few academics will use this to save them some time when they're doing some experiments or when they're like, like there's reasons to want to release the data set to understand like what the things actually learn. You know, why is memorization? So there's like lots of reasons to release the data set. And so I don't know if I regret it, but like uh, if I regret one thing or if one thing did increase capabilities, it was releasing the pile, not GPT-NeoX or like GPT-J. I don't think those really mattered because none of those were ever state of the art, right? Eleuthera I made very clear from day one is that we would never release something that is state of the art or beyond the state of the art. We were like very clear about this. If we ever stumbled upon something that was beyond anything anyone else had, we would not release it. Um, so we were always, and part of my threat model is that I expect all the danger basically to happen from the cutting edge. So if a 200 billion model exists and someone has a 20 billion model, I don't think the existence of the 20 billion model significantly changes like um, the speed of the uh, frontier. And that's right. I think there's arguments against that, but yeah. I agree that, you know, most people at Google Brain or DeepMind started like scaling after the GPT paper. They didn't wait for like GPT demos in July. No, they were scaling stuff before. Um, so I agree with this. And so you have a server with thousands of you know kids or maybe researchers looking at scaling memes. So maybe they get a little bit more into scaling. Oh yeah, yeah. I think a, a little bit more. So just oh, yeah, like yeah. memes. I think there's absolutely a world in which Eleutheria is net negative. I do not want to deny so, that. Sorry. The the I guess the end of my sentence is that they also like look a little bit more into alignment. And if, if they like never heard of alignment before and they heard about scaling because they could, their coworkers talk about scaling models, then they get like maybe like 5% more into alignment. Yep. So I think that's an argument for like why it's positive. Yeah. So one of the things that Eleutheriali did, and this was very much intentional, is that it created a space that is open to the wider ML community and their norms, it is respectful of AI researchers and their norms. And also we have street cred 
in that the sense that we are ML researchers and we're not just like, you know, some, some dude talking about logical induction or whatever. And, but still has a very strong alignment meme is that we, that alignment is high status. It is a respectful thing to talk about as a thing to take serious. It is not some weird thing. Some people in Berkeley think about it is a serious topic of serious intrigue and for what it's worth of like the, like, you know, like five core people at Eleuther AI that changed their job as a direct consequence of Eleuther AI, four went into alignment. And I think most people I talked to were into ML, like people at Google Brain or OpenAI, they all know about Eleuther AI, even like people in the AI art community, they know about Eleuther AI because you did art. But most people don't know about Eliezer Dudkowski. They have problems pronouncing his name, and I, I, I kind of get what they mean. Yes. Um, so I think you kind of made possible this kind of Chad alignment researcher. Yes. Like before that, they were like, oh, this is a crackpot in the internet talking about it. And now it's more like into the mainstream. You, you kind of talk to the engineer, to the hackers. So yep. that, that was pretty good. And that was, that was very much intentional in the sense that like, I mean, for me, it was always clear that alignment is Chad. You know, it's like, obviously, this is the coolest problem in the world to work on. Like, alignment is the coolest problem. And it suffered a lot and still suffers a lot, I think, from an image problem in that, you know, a lot of people, there's just a lot of cultural, you know, disconnect between the ML world and the alignment world for various historical reasons. And Eleuther AI had this cool, which I very much enjoyed like overlap we're like we're legit like people in the ml community really respect eleuther ai you know they look at eleuther AI like oh yeah these these guys are legit this is real street cred and then they also say well these guys take alignment really seriously well maybe we should take it seriously too or at least think about it right i'm not saying was it a resounding success did it do everything i wanted no i mean it could always been better but i like to believe that there was a positive mimetic contagion that happened there as I say, like, you know, a lot of people that I know that were in ML started taking alignmently seriously. Like, I know several professors at several universities that were like, got into Luther AI through the scaling memes and then were convinced that like, uh, this, this alignment thing seems kind of important potentially. And then, you know, it's like, I don't know, you can always argue, maybe they would have came to that conclusion without Luther AI or whatever. But I think there's a lot of positive there. So my completely biased assumptions i mean obviously i'm biased here like i, I try to be objective but like you know it's my, these are my friends right mm. so of course it's gonna be biased you're not trying to like ignore that but my view is that i think eleutheria was a good thing it allowed i think a lot of positive memes about alignment to spread like a different hey it's sean again so this is a two-part interview I, i'm just clipping in some of my comments uh, i just think connor is one of these very interesting creatures uh basically what if gen z became machine learning researchers, it, you get Connor. <laughs> and um, it's a bit hard to verify some of his claims because he's obviously intentionally not being public about all of them. But it seems like he makes sense. They have made some impressive achievements. And it is true that uh, alignment research and safety research has become cool. Uh, I don't To what extent it is to the credit of Eleuther, uh, it's an open question. But it's an interesting story the way that he tells it. And um, I'm happy that they are around. Connor has left. I think Luther AI more or less, and is working on Conjecture.dev, which is, as far as I can tell, Luther if it was a corporation and had employees. Maybe this is a great segue to talking about what I'm currently doing, right. which is Conjecture. So Conjecture grew a lot out of some of the bottlenecks I found while working in Luther AI. So Luther AI, you know, is great. 
you know, I love the people there and such, but, and you know, we had a lot of, you know, great people and such, but if you wanted to get something done, it was like herding cats. But imagine the cats also have crippling ADHD and are the smartest people you've ever met. <laughs> so like it's, it was, especially if anything boring needs to get done, right? If you need to like, you know, fix some bugs or scrape some data or whatever, just like, it would just like very often just not get done. Cause you know, it was all volunteer based, right? You wanted to do fun things, it's your free time, right? You know, people don't want to do boring shit. You know, during the pandemic, it was a bit different cause you know, people literally didn't have anything better to do. But you know, now you have like a social life again, you have a job and then you don't want to come home and spend, you know, two hours debugging some goddamn race condition or whatever, right? So like, it was hard. There, I, I ran into bottlenecks when working with Luther AI. The, one of the hopes I had when I like, you know, was working, was still, you know, started Luther. I was like, wow, this is going to be like this great research org and we're going to like do all this research and stuff. And I was like, oh, you have to actually pay people to do things sometimes. <laughs> so this led to Conjecture. So Conjecture is our AI alignment startup that I founded together with Sid Black and Gabriella Four. Um, two people who I've met through Luther AI. Sid is one of the co-founders. Gabriel is someone who I met through Luther AI. And we started this company to, well, you know, to tackle the alignment problem head on and to, to you know, get, get over some of the uh, bottlenecks that I found in Luther AI by, for example, paying people to actually do things, which is a great way to motivate them. <laughs> and if I recall, you met both Gabriel and Sid back in 2020. Yes, that's correct. And like, when did the idea of like creating a company together came around? So, so finally, Gabriel suggested we should do a company like two weeks after I met him or something, <laughs> which is very funny. Um, uh, Gabriel's a great guy, and he's like, he, like the one thing about Gabriel is whenever he predicts something and I predict the opposite, he's always right. <laughs> so he predicted we would do a company, and I was like, no, that's ridiculous. What? I, you know, I, I couldn't do that. And he was like, oh, okay, we'll see. And then, well, here we are. So, um, so the, the idea was first floated like very early in Luther AI, but I like put that completely on ice. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to, you know, just focus on open source and such. So, it became really concrete around like late 2021, like 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 September, October 2021, I think, when. Um, uh, Nat Friedman, who was the CEO of GitHub at the time, kind of approaches Luther and I say, hey, I love what you guys are doing. It's super awesome. Can I help you with anything? You want to like, meet up sometime? And so to his credit, he donated a bunch of money to help Luther I keep going. So man of his word. And he happened to be in Germany at the time, which is where I was as well. And he's like, hey, do you want to like, meet up for a coffee? And then, you know, so we met, met up, really got along. And he's like, hey, ever thought of like doing a company or something? I was like, no, I have been thinking about that. And he's like, hey, yeah, why don't you just come by the bay sometime? I was like, you know, talk and such. And like, and like, so I was thinking like, oh, cool, I can go to the bay. And I can like, you know, so I, this is at the time. So kind of like, it was a confluence of factors, right? It was like, you know, excuse to go to the bay to talk to like, you know, both Nat and his friends, but also talk like OpenFill and like potential EA funders and stuff like that. And also, um, you know, I was getting like on the Luther, I was hitting those bottlenecks I was talking about where I was like trying to do research at Luther AI, but it was just, it just wasn't working. And you also had a job at LF Alpha. I also had a job at LF Alpha <laughs> at the time where I was also trying to do research, but, and I was, I did some research at LF Alpha, but I found it also to be bottlenecked by various factors. 
you know, because, you know, I wasn't really in control, you know, I didn't have access to you know, any amount of resources I might have wanted and such. So there's like, there's like a few bottlenecks there that just like were hampering how much progress I could make on the kind of research I want to do. Also, like the you know, Aleph Alpha wasn't super aligned on the kind of research I wanted to do. Um, they weren't, they, they were like open to my ideas and the kind of stuff I wanted to do, but they weren't, they weren't 100% on board with like what we wanted to do. And, um, you know, I wish them all the best, but we had, uh, I, I just... You know, didn't think this was the best place for me uh, at that point. And so you went into the Bay and you met uh, Nat's friends. Yeah, I met Nat and friends. And so so what happened is basically, so I was like, you know, young, bright-eyed EA. And I was like, okay, great. I'm going to make an AI company. I have like all these people from Eleuther AI who are just like super, super great. Like, you know, arguably some of the like, only people in the world outside of big tech companies who have built and trained large models. You know, like Sid is an absolute wizard. Um, you know, like he is like single-handedly responsible for like most of GPT Neo X, and also probably most of Neo. Like truly, just incredible stuff. And they are like several other just like really, really great Eleuther AI people on board with this idea who were like wanting to do something like this. So I was like, oh well, yeah, I'll go to OpenField. Like everyone keeps saying there's so much money in EA, and like no, there's nothing they can fund. So like surely they will fund me. Well, so OpenAI, ha uh, OpenField, sorry, had some understandable concerns. You know, they were like, well, we don't really know you that well. You know, you're asking for a lot of money. Your research seems a little weird. The whole, like, you know, the whole, like, Eleuther AI, Copenhagen interpretation, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, you did some things in the past, which we kind of disapprove of, which, you know, it's fair. You can, uh, I understand. So they were, like, a bit hesitant. And, but then I went to the VCs and they're like, yeah, you're <laughs> cool. Here's a ton of money. Do whatever you want. I mean, not literally, but like, you know kind of like that they were like they were like yeah you're you're awesome like you'll do some cool shit so like let's let's do this let's do some let's try some cool shit but i guess the difference between vcs and open philanthropy is that open philanthropy is like trying to have a positive impact whereas vcs maybe think about profit a bit more and they see like a, the potential of like a company with like a bunch of bright people that come from other ai yeah and you as a ceo and the co-founders um, so I think there's like a different ways of looking at oh, the yeah, problem. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said, I fully understand the open philanthropy view here. Like, I'm not like saying like, that, oh, they're so insane. No, like, this is like a very reasonable thing. I may have well not funded myself in this situation. I think I would have actually because I'm more risk tolerant. But like, as institutions are, you know, you have to be, you have to be conservative, right? Like, you know, your reputation is at stake and such. So like, you have to be way more conservative. VCs can afford to like have things blow up. But for, for example, for OpenField, they're very concerned about their reputation. So like, it's really important that they don't, you know, invest in something that blows up that like looks real bad. So like, I fully understand. And would you want to uh, maybe mention the different investors, VCs or amount of funding, or is it just something private that you might not prefer to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I've said it in the past. It's like, yeah, so it's like Nat Friedman, his friends, Daniel Gross, uh, Patrick and John Collison were like the main investors. We also got some smaller amounts of money from like various other sources. Um, it's like Arthur Brightman, uh, Andrew Kaparthi, Sam Bankman fried all put in like various amounts as well. Um, yeah, so Sam came in really late because... FTX fund, Future Fund didn't exist when we were raising the first. And at the very end, like the Future Fund came around like, oh, can we like leave a little bit open in case Sam wants in? And then Sam wanted in. So <laughs> we, so he invested like a small amount towards the end as well. Oh, it was a good, a good strategy to just like leave a window open for Sam McFred. Yeah, we left like a little bit open. And then, yeah, he, he was very kind of him to decide to invest a little bit as well towards the end. But yeah, the, the, the most of the money is from VCs um, at the moment. Yeah, so I kind of love that last bit at the end about Sam Bankman fried This interview was recorded in July of 2022, and obviously that was 
a few months before um, everything came crashing down for SBF.